G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Coming up today on The Story. Well, in my final year at high school, the headmaster came and pulled me out of class and said, Graham, what are you doing next year? And I said, well, I'm going back to the farm. My parents want me back on the farm. And so that was the plan. And then I said, well, I'd really like to go to university. <laughs> it almost brings tears to my eyes because uh, it was just so great that this guy cared. He said, well, I can get accommodation for you for $10 a week, Graham, if you want to go to uni. And then I got a, come with a scholarship. The Story. G'day, I'm Jimmy Colfax. Welcome to The Story. Well, Graham McLennan comes from humble beginnings in farm country in New South Wales and has gone on to travel to various parts of the world, pulling people's teeth out. So it's a good thing he's a dentist and he's been involved in medical ministry in several countries. But that's just the tip of the iceberg. He's also been involved in Christian radio, Christian schooling, and has even dabbled in politics for a while, just to name a few things. So, as we'll hear, Graham has made a huge contribution to the Australian Christian community over the years, and we'll have a lot to cover today. So, let's get right to it. Here's Graham McClellan having a chat and sharing his story with Eric Scadabo. Welcome to the program, Graham McLennan. Thank you, Eric. Glad to have you with us, and you're coming to us from your home, your historic home in Orange, New South Wales. Is that right? Yeah, it's built in 1878. 1878, yeah. and it has those high 12-foot ceilings. As you know, my wife and I and our children had a chance to stay at your home at one point. Yeah, you did. It's a Gothic revival home, double brick, and a beautiful old home. Yes, and the thing that I remember the most about it is that it has those 12-foot ceilings and you have books all the way up to the top in your library. That's there. right. I'm, I'm here looking at them right now. But the interesting thing about the home was that we felt we should use it for teen challenge work as a drop-in centre in the 70s. And so that is kind of the heritage. You've used that house for ministry. And yeah. as I mentioned, I stayed at that house and we were on our way to a Christian conference and you were kind enough to use your gift of hospitality to let us stay there, but that's just part of the tradition of what you've been using that house for for all these years since the 70s. That's right, correct, yeah. So we'll talk about your house a little bit later as that becomes part of the story, but now let's go back to your childhood. You come from humble beginnings in farm country. Tell us about what it was like growing up there. Well, we lived in a little village and uh, Dad worked in a petrol station that he had and carted wheat and was a share farmer and that's because he had four brothers that returned from the war and uh, there was not enough uh, farmland and so he uh, had a, lived in a little village called Yamundry near near Dubbo, between Dubbo and Gilgandra actually and uh, so um, we uh, grew up there and I went to a school of, of about, oh, about 40 children in uh, about seven classes, and uh, I actually uh, topped the class of five or six children, you see. And then oh, my top of the class. My word. And then when <laughs> I went to the primary school in Dubbo, uh, I came about last out of 35 children. Actually, I came 33rd from memory because I wasn't taught anything at Yumundry Public School. And uh, <laughs> you know, coming top of the class, we used to go to school in bare feet and so on. 
Yeah, did it? You have to uh, look out for snakes and stuff. Oh yeah, yeah, all the time. Yeah, we, we uh, Dad killed twenty eight snakes in one day. It's on the front page of the Sydney Morning Herald, actually. And wow. uh, so my older sister used to take Condi's crystals and a tourniquet when when we went to school. So they were just in case. Yeah, I've trodden on snakes and done lots of things. I could tell you snake stories for for a while, but but anyway, when I went into town to the school there, I came as I said nearly last, and, um, and that was in the half yearly exam. And then in the uh, yearly exam, I came in the top four or five. So they thought, what's you know, they've jumped, I've jumped almost thirty places. What's that going on here? Yeah, <laughs> so what, what happened? Well, what, well, by the time I got in the sixth class, they thought I, I might have had some potential. So um, I got a scholarship then to Hurlston Agricultural High School, which is a very highly selective school. It's a well, sister school in Sydney is the top school in, in Australia, actually. Mm-hmm. So you had to go off to boarding school because you won that prestigious yeah. scholarship? Yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah. so that's what got me on the road to being out of the little bubble that I would have grown up in, I suppose, being mm-hmm. a farm kid. I was supposed to go on the farm and... Uh, that's why I went to Hurlston because I was the grandchild that was going to be inherit the or look after the property, and I used to spend most of my holidays. I wasn't used to um, going on holidays. Actually, I used to go out and work on the farm, do do a lot of ploughing. That was your holiday. Yeah, ploughed thousands of acres on an old um, Ben's tractor. Okay, so. Tell us about your time in boarding school. How did that go? Uh, I, I understand well, there was a little bullying going on. Oh, yeah. Well, I was bullied a lot, and then I did it myself, actually, in my second year there. But I was terribly homesick. But mm-hmm. after a while, um, you know, you've got to have some not great mates. And I didn't have problems with, in those years, in the late 50s, we didn't have problems with pornography or drugs. And we didn't know who uh, these strange foreign people were called females and so uh, <laughs> until we got home and uh, yeah so, so it was an all boys school yeah, it was all boys school oh, okay and how'd you do in school well i did well i i remember topping uh, coming second in history modern history and probably why i was interested in history even though i was i did poorly sometimes in the humanities but i really you see this is interesting because i really did well in the subjects where i like i like the teacher mm-hmm. and uh, so if i liked the teacher i did well and if, if i didn't I wasn't really interested, so I couldn't handle novels. So, in actual fact, I've got a whole wall full of novels, but I've only managed to read one chapter of one of them. And, <laughs> um, <laughs> and uh, yes, yeah, so uh, literature really wasn't a, a um, high priority for me, but anything that is factual. And, and we all got on as an agriculture. I was a bit agricultural, really. I, I was thinking about the land and what we'd do and improve the property. And it was 3,000 acres. It's just a living area, really, with sheep and wheat and some cattle and and probably 5,000 snakes. Okay, and then after high school finished, what was next in your life? Well, in my final year at high school, the headmaster came and pulled me out of class and said, Graham, what are you doing next year? And I said, well, I'm going back to the farm. My parents want me back on the farm because it's their means of getting back onto the property because he loved the land, Dad. And uh, and so that was the plan. And then I upset everybody by saying to the headmaster, I said, well, I'd really like to go to university. And so he said, <laughs> almost brings tears to my eyes because uh, it was just so great that this guy cared. Mm. And uh, <laughs> it is interesting because he said, well, I can get accommodation for you for $10 a week, Graham, if you want to go to uni. And then I got a come with a scholarship. A lot of bright kids got scholarships in those mm. days. So here I was off 
to university. My, my, the reason why I chose, I nearly chose medicine, but before medicine I, cho- I was thinking about being a vet because the guys from Hurlston did early agricultural vet. Hardly anyone had done uh, dentistry. It was just that my sister um, had worked before she went to teacher's college. To um, She worked for a dentist and uh, so I thought, well, these dentists, they're, they're wealthy people, you know. They've got their farms as well as their profession. So I thought, oh, I figured out I should do something like medicine or vet or dentistry and so I ended up thinking dentistry was the easiest because one vet said to me when I went out with him one day, he said, well, at least I can tell you a human what's wrong with him. You know, an animal can't. So I thought, <laughs> oh, well, that's good advice. <laughs> yeah, so uh, I, I, I love the people. I, I uh, did dentistry for 50 years, half yeah. a century, and yeah. uh, 48 years as a dentist, but a couple of years before then, treating people. But um, it's it's the relationships you build on trust with people is great. So you went off to school for dentistry at university. Yeah, yeah. yeah. None of the family had gone off done anything like that. So yeah, you were the first in your family, so that was yeah unprecedented. Yeah, they're all farmers. Yeah. They're coming back from the war, you know, with um, it affected them, and they went through the depression, and that knocked them around and. Uh, you know, we didn't have electricity or anything in those days. Yeah. You know, um, so was it an all-boys school as well? Well, the thing was that we were 65 in the year and only two of them were females. Oh, okay. So, yeah, so... Not was, officially. Well, yeah, well, like engineering is the same. There's some um, faculties where there were mainly boys, blokes, and um, but in arts and so on, there probably be 80% were probably females. So, mm. uh, so how did you find university? Well, I found it great. It's a good time of being sort of set free and doing what you chose to do, and that's where I discovered females. Um, and I <laughs> took, and, and in my second year, I decided they were so great that I took out a different one to about ten different balls uh, <laughs> that year. I don't know where I got the money from, but um, I'd become. I, I actually then became a Christian in my third year of university, and a fellow who was a uh, Christian had had failed his year, the easiest year in dentistry, the third year, and and I went into third year, and he led me to the Lord, and. Uh, through that, he he uh, uh, introduced me to my future wife, Pammy, who uh, we met, and she was at uh, WEC, Worldwide Evangelization mm-hmm. Crusade. She was there working, and she'd been a nurse, and uh, she was involved in uh, doing things. So I, I discovered we, we were living almost right next to each other. She was Royal Prince Alfred Hospital doing nursing there, and I was in Newtown. So we uh, sort of got befriended one another. In actual fact, we met... Um, you know, work, and then we decided to evangelise with the Anglican Church in Newtown, um, door knocking. So we went around door knocking, and that's where we started to have an interest in one another. And uh, as I crossed the road, she lagged behind, and I was worried about it, and I held her hand. And oh, that's, yes. that's when it started. That's when it started. You're listening to The Story. Today, Dr. Graham McClellan from Orange in New South Wales is sharing his life journey. As we're hearing at this point in the story, he has just met his future wife, Pam. Next, we'll hear Pam's side of the story and how the two of them met. It's all coming up when we return. The Story. If this program has highlighted something you'd like prayer for, we'd love to pray for you. 
Call 1-800-PRAY-FOR-ME. That's 1-800-772-936. It's a free call. Or text 0401 132 888. Hi, I'm Jimmy Colfax and this is The Story. Today we're hearing the life journey of retired dentist Dr Graham McClellan from Orange in New South Wales. Before the break, we ended with Graham sharing how he met his future wife Pam. Now, we've invited Pam to join us to share her side of their story. Well, we met out at, um, at a monthly meeting at, at um, the WEC, Worldwide Evangelization Crusade. And um, I'd always been geared to missions. I as a child, I um, heard a missionary speak who was a nurse and she appealed for people to um, to do things that um, similar to what she was doing. And uh, so that's how I ended up going to these monthly youth meetings at, at WEC um, with a couple of other nurses. Anyway, I was talking to um, this guy, telling him what a great Bible study I was going to at uh, the local Anglican church in Newtown. Actually, the, the guy who led, had led Graham to the Lord a short time before said, um, oh, I'll have to introduce you to Graham. He lives near you. So um, Graham started uh, coming to this Bible study and then the rector uh, encouraged us to go door to door to um, talk to people about coming to another um, group he was running. So that was really how we got to know each other. And he reached out his hand yeah, he reached out his hand when we were crossing the road. <laughs> and that's how it all started. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What happened next in your relationship? Oh, well, we were just going around together. We both had a similar calling, I think, to missions. Mm-hmm. And um, I was um, praying on the roof of the nurse's home one night, and I felt the Lord say that we'd be married um, within a year. Oh, wow. And I wrote the date of my diary and didn't think much more about it. But... Um, Later in that year, we had an interview with the South American Mission Society, and they, um, after interviewing us, they said, oh, we want you to come back two years after you get married. Well, we were only just engaged. Graham was going into the army about um, six weeks later or something. Yeah, yeah. So, so that wasn't um, going to work? No, that wasn't going to work. And my mother was getting really frantic about how on earth we could book a um, venue or anything to do with a wedding. So anyway, Graham had taken off on a Youth with a Mission crusade in Fiji and he saw a young couple get married over there and he said, well, why don't you come over and get married? <laughs> and uh, Just like that? Just like that. <laughs> and, uh, and anyway, it wouldn't have even been possible um, except I did actually turn 21, I think um, three days before I got married over there. And, uh, but also I didn't need my parents' permission at that stage over there. But um, I had to have the matron's permission because um, I hadn't quite finished the four years uh, training in nursing. So, um, yeah, so that was interesting. I had to go and go and talk to the matron about whether I could get married. The matron <laughs> of your school? Matron of the nurse, yeah, the hospital, yeah. Oh, that's interesting. Um, during our four years training, we were not to get married, and that only changed probably, uh, there are a few people. Oh, so that me. was the rule at that time? Yeah, yeah, that's the way it was. Oh, wow. Yeah, droves of nurses left because they wanted to get married. Oh, I see. Okay, yeah. so long story short, you end up in Fiji to get married. 
Yes, yeah, that's right. I mean, how long was it after he suggested this that you actually flew over there? Oh, a few days. Oh, wow. Just like that. <laughs> I think. Yeah, just a yeah, few days. Yeah, just a few days. Had, had a honeymoon for two. And uh, we had a honeymoon for, what was it, two or three days? I yeah, don't about know. two days. <laughs> flew back to Sydney, graduated and went into the army. Had a honeymoon uh, for uh, about a week at the most and uh, had the rest of my honeymoon with 400 blokes <laughs> at Pakapanyal. <laughs> and then officer training. You are such a romanticist, Graham. <laughs> yeah. So, and we didn't we didn't meet up again for six weeks. I think it was. I went down yeah. to Melbourne. Sorry, once once in three months. Was that it? Three wow, months. Wow, what a way to yeah, start a marriage. Three months. Mm. Yeah. And how long have you been married now? Um, fifty three years. Oh, so so it worked. It worked out. Yes. Yes, I think it worked out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think so. She's wonderful. What happened after that, Pam? Um. Well, it turned out that the day I got married, it was actually within that um, one year from when the Lord had told me I'd, I'd get married within a year. Oh, wow. So, that was really quite amazing. Now, let me ask you, Pam. So, you were raised a Christian, a strong Christian, even wanting to go into missions. And here yes. you met Graham, who had just become a Christian. Yes. How did you feel about this kind of baby in the Lord? Oh, I think... Um, I just felt I admired him because he had a similar calling. Um, he was keen on, on missions too. And um, I wouldn't have sort of gone out with someone who didn't have a similar calling. Mm -hmm. Well, the, the fact yeah. that you guys met going door to door, asking people to go to a study, I mean, that's yeah. pretty devout right there. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, that yeah. tells you about the intensity of his, his faith. Yes, yeah. And it's, it's probably... Um, the guy who had led him to the Lord ended up as a missionary. And then your early married life, when you finally did get together, what happened? Um, well, that was an amazing story too, because I went on to do midwifery. So we thought we still wouldn't be together because Graham was posted over the place, um, Singleton and various other places. But uh, eventually he ended up um, swapping with this guy at Wagga, and so that worked out that um, we were together. And I understand that early in your marriage, uh, both of you went through a heartbreak with um, the death of one of your children. Can you please yes. share with us about that? Um, yeah, well, that, that was very difficult. Um, I was had a twin pregnancy, and uh, I actually guessed it was a twin pregnancy before the obstetrician did, I think, <laughs> because the Lord um, said he'd give us a double blessing. And uh, Oh, wow. So that, I think that's what made it sort of hard when... Kathy died, um, and it was actually right when Graham finished in the army that um, she died at, at three months, mm. and um, it was cot death. And yeah, that was it was very difficult, very difficult thing to go through, and we were pretty shattered. And the Lord just ended up leading us to to Orange, and that was when uh, you know a year later, um, the sale, and you know we felt we should look for a new, a big large house, and and this it went through. Um, a year later, right on the exact day, on the uh, anniversary when she died, and then when she was buried, the money actually came through. So, you know, that was just, I guess it was just the Lord telling us, you know, out of death, life comes forth. Yeah, to have a baby for three months and then die of, you're referring to it as cot death, but now it's known as sudden infant death syndrome? Yes, yeah. So that, yeah, that was... A painful, painful experience. Yeah, yeah. 
but as you're mentioning, God kind of helped yeah. you in another way, blessed you in another way to help you heal from yes. that. Yeah, it's not, not the way we're expecting. That's yeah, yeah. Uh, we just arrived in Orange to do a locum after our child died. We were just devastated because of uh, that death. Um, it was really, well, really horrific for us. So mm-hmm. when we came to Orange to do a locum, we felt we should stay here. And uh, that house, actually, uh, we paid uh, $17,000 for it and the two blocks of land at the back. And um, it's an interesting story because we were going to be turfed out because we had all these people here evangelizing the city with the the vans in the spare blocks and uh, a fellow came along and said uh, oh, how are things going he said well we're going to be evicted tomorrow wow. and, he, and he said that uh, oh well I've got some money just inherited it, uh, they've lowered the age from 21 to 18 and so we put him up for a year or two and uh, while well, he finished his schooling and uh, and so he paid for the deposit and uh, it was interesting because it was the, the exact hour uh, to the funeral of our child that we uh, died, so we paid seventeen thousand dollars for it, and uh, we sold the two blocks of land for for six or seven thousand. So we ended up paying just six thousand dollars for the house. So oh my that, if that wasn't God, and and the, and the sign to us was that uh, it was a year exactly to the very hour that our child Kathy died. Well, that was part one of Dr. Graham McClellan sharing his story. And as we heard, his wife, Pam, was kind enough to join us today to share insights into their story as a couple. Next time, we'll hear more of Graham's story and about some of the Christian projects and ministries he's been involved with over the years. One example of this is Vision Christian Radio that you're listening to right now. He was there at the very beginning when it was called UCB or United Christian Broadcasting. Also, he helps start other Christian radio stations in Australia and overseas. As we'll hear, another thing that is near and dear to Graham's heart is learning about Australia's Christian heritage. To this end, Graham has started a website filled with historical documents called Christian History Research. You can check it out at chr.org.au. That's chr. While there, you can read Graham's story, which he is entitled A Pilgrim's Progress, One Person's Journey. Just type Graham's name into the search bar and you'll find a link to the PDF document he's created. And as we've said, these interviews are just scratching the surface of the many Christian projects he's been involved with. And you can find out more by reading his story. His life really is a reflection of the verse, Be doers of the word, not hearers only. We'll hear more of Graham's story next time. Until then, I'm Jimmy Colfax, encouraging you to share your story with someone today. Next time on The Story. We got involved in a number of areas with education and with government, uh, with media, and helped commit to Christian Radio here. And uh, as a result of that, we got involved in initiating... uh, United Christian Broadcasters and we decided to have a national body to broadcast to every Australian Christian radio to every Australian that was our vision Retired dentist Graham McClellan has always lived his life with the belief that Christians should let their light shine and have a positive influence on society To this end He's been involved in several Christian projects and ministries over the years, including helping to start radio stations in Australia, Nepal and Vanuatu. We'll hear more of Graham's impactful life story next time. The Story. story. Just another way vision is connecting faith to life.